Today's episode of the Ramp Podcast features Chad Caples. Chad is the head of talent acquisition at Genworth. Chad has spent the better part of his career working in high-performing talent orgs. Over the course of his career, he's developed a unique perspective on how to foster winning teams. We talk through a plethora of items, including what the future of work looks like, how we get there, and what folks can do to prepare themselves. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with Chad. He was easy to talk to, thought-provoking, and provided a wide array of expertise that I know you will all learn from. Let's jump into this week's episode with Chad Caples on the Ramp Podcast. You're listening to The Ramped Podcast, a podcast connecting industry heavyweights with the next generation of talented professionals. We're on a mission to build transparency into the practical realities of your early career by exploring how the world's best did it themselves. Our guidance will help you discover and launch a successful career in sales, technology, finance, and many other industries. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Ramped Podcast. Today, I am joined with Chad Caples. Chad, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. Chad, you're somebody that we've obviously admired from afar. You worked at Genworth for quite some time. Before we jump into all these questions that I have for you on the future of work and some of the other things that we want to talk about today, who is Chad Caples? Yeah, I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a friend, I'm an ally, I'm someone who is, is foodie obsessed and, and probably equally obsessed with live music. I'm someone who uh, I love, I'm a people pleaser. I love to see smiles on, on people's faces when faces when they've they made a big splash in an organization and also when that organization's made a big impact on, on, on them. Been in the TA space now for close to 20 years and, and love it. Sweet. And today it looks like we are rocking rival schools. They're not so much rival, but maybe rival business schools. We got Michigan and Virginia represented right. on the podcast. Cool. Well, let's jump into some of the questions. Let's talk about some of your experience in TA. A lot of times we're hearing folks, especially in our audience, talk about what they're going to do next or what they're going to do first in their career. Do you have a framework or do you know of a way that you can coach folks into how they should think about that first step in their early career? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I, I appreciate it. I, I mean, I, I think certainly important for people who are earlier in their career is to, to try and think of their career as a marathon and not a sprint, right? I, I think it's important that even if you aren't successful and identifying the the role or industry that you want long term right off the bat that's okay right it, it you you just don't waste your your time in, in terms of find a way to focus your development on skills and experiences and competencies that you can gain and, and understand the difference too between those three they're they're not one and and the same I, I always encourage people at all levels but I think particular earlier career is Take yourself out of your comfort zone. Be open-minded to the, the types of interactions and learnings. To me, early in your career especially, it's as much as understanding not just what you, you do and you may be interested in as it is what you don't like and you don't want to do. And don't think of your career as a ladder, right? More realistically, it's probably a jungle gym. So if if you think of it strictly as in a linear progression, you're you're more than likely going to set yourself up for 
some disappointment in in some ways. Yeah, super helpful. Very, very good strategic advice there. I'm curious to know, so when you're in that early career phase, and we've talked to thousands of early career professionals about to embark on this first step in their journey, and a lot of times they're saying stuff like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just stymied by this decision. I don't know what I, what, what I want to do. Uh, they don't think of it, like you mentioned, as a, as a marathon. They do think of it as I got to get ahead. I got to get ahead. I got to get ahead. Like, how do you calm folks down and really help them see that in that moment, the most important thing is X? What do you do there? Yeah, that's. I think, again, not just important to early career folks, but I think in, in particular important to early career folks because of perhaps the lack of professional experience and, and perspective that they may have is I encourage anyone earlier in their career to do their best to try and put together what I call kind of a board of directors, right? A, a group of people who, it doesn't have to be extensive, but a group of people who know them well enough that they understand that person, they understand how that person ticks, they understand that person's desires and wants and, and blind spots, but they're they're comfortable enough with that person too that they have no problem giving them the the objective feedback that that person may need to hear and they may not get from a parent they may not get from you know a spouse or a partner or a friend and i think that that's kind of part and parcel of of early career people really focusing on investing in themselves right sometimes you see early career folks get frustrated because the organization's not doing x but I think it's really important to kind of take an inventory of those around you. And more often than not, those folks are very open to sharing their perspectives and experiences that, that could benefit you as an early career professional. You know, I, I don't think I've ever met a leader in my career who wasn't more partial to mentoring that early career professional who was vocal about being exposed to new things and throwing their hat in the ring to participate in a project or, or what have you, right? Versus the associate who's kind of heads down and focused on that one job. And I think sometimes early career professionals go, golly, if I can just dig into this one thing and kind of show my stuff, then others will recognize it. But that's not always the case. It, it, it sometimes takes that person who is willing to kind of step up and say, hey, what about me? How can I contribute in, in multiple ways? Really, really good advice. The board of directors things we've heard a few times over and it just rained so true. And a lot of times folks even put some pressure on themselves to find that early board of directors. And I think really the best guidance you give it, you give a lot, it's just folks that can give an honest view on you as a professional and don't put too much pressure on yourself, right? It is, it is step one in a multi-step journey. I'm keen to switch gears a little bit here and talk through the future of work. That's such a, it's such a buzzword. It's a, it's a tagline. You hear so many, so many people talking about it, whether it's professionals, non-professionals, books, whatever. So in your opinion, what does the future of work, what does it actually mean, especially when it comes to talent or managing human capital? Yeah, I mean, of course, it it, it goes without saying that, that COVID and uh, the quick pivot that we found ourselves in in 2020 led many of us to have the opportunity to work remotely because of you know the fear of the unknown or safety or what have you. And of course, that's radically transitioned to organization of work over the last few years. And I think statistics, last statistics I saw, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of three to four times as many employees, of course, are, are working remotely now than pre-pandemic. And it's like 15 or 20% of companies are all fully remote. So, But I, I, 
what I've seen is is a lot of those transitions have been more about how organizations are willing or forced to reorganize work, right? To to allow for different worker scenarios as they focus on retention and and focus on how they can hunt for talent. But now I think we're seeing that a lot of the thinking behind some of that reorganization is falling into the individual, right? Companies are, as companies acquiesce, if, if you will, to allowing workers to be hybrid or fully remote, that implied employer employee contract shifts and employees themselves are having to think differently, or I should say talented professionals are having to think differently about how and when they may best contribute to that organization as well as fulfill their own needs, right? So it's, it's, it's a different give and take on what those folks want and, and really what they're willing to, to give up to find the best scenario for them. You know, we've certainly heard the buzzwords of work-life balance maybe tagged out for work-life integration. And so it's not just about the reorganization of work. We've, we've all reorganized how we approach home life and the shared commitments we have with spouses and partners and kids and as caregivers, right? So it, to me, a, a lot of the future of work is, you know, whether it's the hours that people work or in a given day or the intentionality of their tasks or me, whatever, but particularly those that are hybrid kind of behind between home and office, I think workers will increasingly expect to have that flexibility. Yeah, I agree with you completely. My personal bias is oriented around the future of work looks like more hybrid or fully remote than anything else. But I'm curious to know your perspective as somebody who works at you know, a bigger company and sees this and sees these decisions coming down the, the road and really in front of you, what, what does the future of where we work look like in one, three, five, 10 years from now? Yeah. You know, I, I think it is certainly safe to say, of course, that a lot of the workplace changes triggered by the pandemic are, are, are not going away. They're not going anywhere. Right. And, and I think we'd all be surprised if any of that proportion of remote work regresses. But I also think that most folks who are in roles that can be done remotely desire some flexibility of being in the office a day or two a week. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago where there was this mounting trend where open offices existed and were that offered what some folks might consider kind of fairly lavish, you know, employee perks and, and amenities, right? More of a, a build it and, and they will come type mentality. But one thing that was certainly very consistent with all of those different scenarios was the expectation of folks being in the office, if not every day, pretty, pretty regularly. And so I think many HR executives are working harder on employee engagement than they have historically, whether that's through surveys or stay interviews or open forms or whatever. I think the difference now in a lot of those areas is that companies are actually listening to employee feedback and engaging teams through their organizations to plan and, and, and implement a lot of those proposed changes. But in addition to, to following through on employee suggestions, leaders are, are also walk, working on ways to engage their workforce and entice them back in the office. So whether it's something as surface level as providing food in the office or something more substantial around more structured mentorship opportunities or finding ways to bring in more diverse and inclusive points of view, whatever it is, right? Um, 
I think many are engaging employees at all levels in a much more intentional and, and receptive way. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Good perspective there. Mentioned a few things that I just want to talk through and get your perspective on because I think they're really, really important. And we hear them so often, but building a an equitable and inclusive and diverse workforce is something that is not just, let's call it buzzwordy or hot button issue, but it's, it's important. It's not the most important thing you can do for building a culture and building a team. How are you putting mechanisms or thinking through challenges to put initiatives in place that can create and foster that type of workforce, a really diverse, inclusive, equitable workforce today and into the future? Yeah, thanks for that question. I think a couple of things. One, you know, at Genworth, and and I I probably do need to give my my disclaimer. These are my my thoughts and opinions, right? Not the official Genworth hat, but but at, at Genworth, we certainly have a very strong intentionality around DE and I, both with our internal workforce as, as well as how we seek external talent. And but we also recognize that the, the the problem of more jobs than talent out there is probably not going away. So we have very intentional efforts from a, an outward recruiting focus to look at a couple of different areas where one, we know where we have to have particular skill sets. We're doing all that we can to identify and engage diverse talent with those pools, but also in areas where we can build talent and know that continuously trying to go to market and buy talent in smaller candidate pools where everybody's is is trying to push each other out of the way to compete for that talent it's going to get increasingly that much more difficult so we are we have a lot of different efforts underway with underrepresented groups that are perhaps don't have access to ways to develop skills or educational opportunities that might skill them up so they're in that that first pool I, I spoke to but are outstanding candidates that might be able to engage in some of our development programs where we can bring them in to build up that talent. So we, we just want to make sure it's not a one size fits all approach for any aspects of our business. Yep. Yep. Love that. Love that. And companies are treating it with the respect it is due right now. I think it's a long time coming, but from our perspective, you know, when we skill up folks and we see folks coming through our platform, the actual numbers are quite, quite, quite alarming. I mean, in, in, in a good way, I mean that. So we have about 65% of our folks identifying or self-identifying as coming from a diverse background and 40 plus percent women. And you don't always see those ratios at every company. So it's something that we, we put a premium on. And it's, it's nice to hear that in your specific function, you are also taking this uh, very seriously and, and, and emphasizing it throughout the culture at, at Genworth. I do want to chat through one thing that I think is important for our audience as well. When you think about where the world is going, where the future of work is going, and you are talking to potentially folks who are rising up through the ranks or even folks that are about to embark on that first job, what do you coach them or how do you help them think through what the workforce looks like maybe five or 10 years out and how to best position themselves for success given that new 
hypothesized climate? Yeah, that, that's a that's a great question. Certainly, it's it's an interesting pivot, right? In in terms of of not just how employers and organizations are, are going to market to look for talent, but that much of that talent at all levels, particularly early career, understanding that even as early career professionals where they may not have as big of a, a, a skill set to speak to as, as more experienced professionals, they still have a lot of leverage in the market. And so I think part of that is kind of resting on maybe who came out of the, the pandemic and is heading into the, the next era as I hate to use the term winners and losers, right? But, you know, I, I think there are employers who were thoughtful and active in, in recruiting talent, not solely as it was a commodity, but recruited people, right? And and created and followed through on genuine promises from investments in professional development to well-being to inclusion, like all of those kinds of, of areas, those are the folks that are the big winners, probably. You know, I know empathy can get thrown around the market a whole lot, particularly in the wake of what's gone on. And but empathy is truly a very it's a very impactful and common word that we use at Genworth. When we are we're a long-term care insurance products and services company. So if if empathy doesn't really transcend everything that we do, especially to a policyholder or their caregiver or, or whomever might be part of that claim process, then then our promise to be there for folks at, at most of the vulnerable times in their lives means means nothing. But I don't think that's anything that's just isolated at all to our customers, right? It it, it of course lies with each of our colleagues and things internally, but you know, candidates recognize that too. So I think candidates. The big candidate winners are, are those that were patient and were able to distinguish those companies who were action and not just talk. And in terms of empathy, that were able to recognize those that translated that to genuine focus on employee well-being and inclusion, and again, investment, all of those kinds of things. I think candidates, particularly those in early career who more often than not digging deep into organizations and their social media and what their messaging is, not just from the top down, but from the bottom up, they really recognize whether those things about companies are intentional and authentic or, or not. And so I, I know going back to some of the earlier things that we talked about with early career and the the more natural desire for not just their career, but for their job search to be a sprint. You know, I, I would advise earlier career people to take your time and, and understand which of those companies do have those genuine values and, and express that not just in a public forum, but that kind of walk that walk, both from an internal standpoint with their existing workforce, as well as how they uh, engage candidates. And, and you know, th these candidates recognize that those with whom they interact through the recruiting process, whether they're listening and observing and asking thoughtful questions, and, and that experience can contribute very well to both sides, candidates, employers alike, in, in terms of, is it a good fit to bring them together? And, and again, I just think that that interaction resonates with folks more, more than ever before. Yeah, really, really good perspective and great thoughts. And you know, you mentioned the word winner at the beginning of this, and I think 
I think, you know, it's, it's stuff to think of it sometimes in terms of winner or loser, but I do think some companies are actually doing better on this avenue and some are actually falling behind. And I'm curious to know your perspective on how technology plays into this. So some of the things that we saw, obviously, going through the pandemic in the beginning phases was, hey, Zoom, clear winner of work remote pandemic life, whatever you want to call it, mostly because people needed a way to interact with each other outside of the workforce. And obviously that's subsided a bit as folks get back into workforce environments and go more hybrid than necessarily full remote. But I'm curious to know how you think about technology and what role that actually plays in future of work, future discussions around how people work and and what they're going to be doing at work. Yeah, great, great question. Without any doubt, of course, technology has enabled us to work remotely in more productive ways than we ever probably envisioned or embraced. I think it certainly, it starts before that work even begins. It starts with the the recruiting cycle, right? We see recruiting processes today where artificial intelligence are included in that process, where Candidates are way more apt to respond to text than they are emails and all of these things that we use in our personal lives that make sense. So certainly, why wouldn't they be part of the, the talent acquisition process? I, I think, though, that in that process, it, it, it can be a little bit of a dance. It's important, I think, for both candidates and em- employers alike to um, leverage that technology to the greatest extent they can but also to balance that with intentionally making sure that it doesn't become an impersonal process, right? And and I think that bleeds right into the way in which we do work. Technology can um, enable us to do things that we could never do before, but technology can also be isolating. It can prevent us from perhaps understanding intentionality or tone and, and certain communications. And so, just like we talk about the difference in virtual versus on-site and intentionality, I think with technology and different mediums, there has to be an awareness and, and, a, and an intentionality there too of if things are appropriate to be said in text or email, then do it that way. If, if it, the good old-fashioned way of picking up a phone is more appropriate, do it that way. But the, when, when you mix those up and you know that, that certainly I think can sometimes have more of a negative impact than than a positive one. But in, inevitably, certainly industry to industry, it's going to change, but inevitably technology is only going to increasingly become more and more a part of what we do. It's only going to com- increasingly, increasingly allow us to work in a more virtual environment. And so folks got to continue to embrace that in ways that can be productive. Yeah, totally agree with you there. I think it's really curious today's I guess let's call it, you know, new gen or the folks who have only experienced working in the pandemic. It's like a subsection of Gen Z. The the prevailing attitude that we see is that we prefer remote work for better or for worse. That's the preference. And when I think back to my early career, one of the things that I absolutely loved about the first stop, first real stop in my journey was we had a massive, massive young team at Groupon. And the interactions that I'd have with coworkers or teammates on my direct team or my boss, my manager, my manager's manager, the CEO, COO, the CEO, founder, et cetera, 
is something that I don't feel you get from just sitting in your room or without other folks around. Even the small interactions, like after meetings where you don't understand something and you can go approach a manager or you just want to chat about something that just happened in real time, like those are gone. Those are evaporated. There's no way to do that today. And I'm feeling, you know, two and a half years into this, uh, this new new world, new, new working world, uh, a, a craving to get back to something like that. Now, do I want to be in office all the time, mandated at a certain start and end time? Absolutely not. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that we're missing some of that, uh, some of that calling, belonging, up-leveling, you know, even just ability to spark curiosity and get your curiosity, thirst for curiosity kind of quenched there. It's, it's, it's all gone. And I'm not sure what to do with that, uh, or if it's just you know me now as a as a you know ten ten ish year person in the workforce. It's just a, an old timers type of mentality. But I don't think it is. I don't think you're ever going to really get back to, or, or you're you're ever going to uh, not be able to, or you're you're not going to be able to recreate like that experience. So that that's. That's something that is going to be on my mind for a while if we continue in working remote. Yeah, I agree. It's 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 an interesting dilemma. I mean, I was just having a conversation earlier this week and we were kind of brainstorming around what our what we at least project at this point with what we know. What's what's our summer intern experience gonna look like in 2023? Right. And, and I use experience kind of in maybe with quotes and a question mark associated with it, because pre-pandemic, that was um, an experience for all three of our development programs where we brought interns in from all around the country, the country to, to home base here in, in Richmond, Virginia. And while certainly making sure that we created a meaningful experience in terms of the work with which people were involved in, in that side of it, that was probably a third. The other two thirds was more around the experience of it all, of, of living in a different part of the country and having different social and, and educational opportunities to interact with folks across the organization and other interns. And while we've had relatively successful internship programs in the last over the last few summers being virtual, it's almost impossible to recreate those those same pieces and parts of the experience. Right. And I think it's it's not just a, a dilemma, certainly that is aligned with those that are early career or part of the internship experience. But from an employer standpoint, I think it's very challenging too from a retention standpoint, right? Folks that um recognize an opportunity, go through the process, onboarded and work fully remote, in many cases may not feel they have the same level of skin in the game. And so they're not as loyal or vested. And again, I know I'm speaking generalities, but that's a real, real live dilemma that certainly we, we have to deal with in certain scenarios in Genworth. And I know all employers are dealing with is recreating. We, the word culture is, is thrown around a lot, right? But it's, it, it's, it's real. Culture is real. And ideally, it's organic and authentic. But it's hard to have an organic and authentic culture that's fully virtual without some intentionality behind it right yeah for sure really good points want to bring up one more thing because i know you mentioned you know you have conversations with folks and you're an expert in this field who are some of the voices that you pay attention to 
either at your own company or out in the wild on the future of work and future of work discussions? Yeah, thank thank you for that question. So I'm I've always tried to be very intentional since I've had the opportunity to be in a leadership role to listen to colleagues who are in similar roles both within my industry as well as across multiple industries. Um, so I'm I'm very active in a handful of networking groups where we have the opportunity to, in a more formal sense, pull up quarterly and discuss particular topics that may be, you know, in in view for each of us individually or collectively as, as an industry or a function. But we also have the ability to tap each other. We individually are dealing with certain dilemmas or process improvements or questions or what have you that fall our immediate plates that we can tap one another for perspectives and and. It's, it's been very, very impactful on a lot of the things that we've thought about from a TA perspective at Genworth, because we know that we're certainly not taking just a, an inside out view that we have some broad perspective, but it, it's also, while those things are great, it's also not from just a, you know, a research document, but that it, we've talked to, to professionals who are practicing those very things and can weigh in on what's worked for them, what hasn't worked for them and and why. And so we're not just kind of rolling the dice based on a white paper. We understand specifically from the actual application as to whether it worked and, and if it might be something that we want to utilize as a fast follower. So that has been very, very important to, to what we've done here from a TA perspective without any question. Yeah, it's great to hear. Great to hear. You know, well, well versed in it, following expert guidance. And then obviously it sounds like going on intuition and some of the things that you know are are true as well. Chad, this has been a really, really inspiring conversation, a thoughtful conversation, a thought-provoking conversation. And appreciate you being a, a part of it. Where can folks find you if they want to reach out and chat with you about anything, whether it's Genworth, Future of Work, et cetera? Yeah, Danny, thanks a lot for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyed our conversation as well. I'm on LinkedIn with with probably most of the rest of the world. So certainly happy to engage with people through that medium or that makes sense for us to connect through that and, and talk otherwise. Always open to engaging on these topics where there's mutual interest and, and mutual opportunity to impact one another. So thanks again for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you, Chad. And for our audience, we hope to have Chad back on the Ramp Podcast sometime in the future. For now, we're signing off. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the Ramped Podcast. To access our show notes, the Ramped platform, or to become a corporate partner, visit www.rampedcareers.com or email us at sales at rampedcareers.com. This podcast is brought to you by Ramped. Ramped is on a mission to democratize job access through learning and career discovery. Until next time.